Father, we thank you for stories like Ruth. A woman who seems to be lost. A widower with seemingly no hope, and yet she was yours. And marvelously, you rescued her through a redeemer named Boaz. But God, we're here this morning because of a greater redeemer named Jesus who rescues sinners like us and who gives us His name and His inheritance and His joy and His life and His family. And Father, that's the story we need to hear in the midst of Ruth's story because Ruth's story is our story. It's your story. It's a story of Christmas. It's a story of rescue. It's a story of redemption. And no one should leave here not knowing of your love and the rescue of your Son. How He rescued us beginning in Bethlehem. And Father, we ask that You would come with power this morning. That You would speak through a broken sinner. That Lord, we would be able to hear from You Father, the things that I say that are merely my opinion, may they fall away and be forgotten. But Father, for the things that are true, that contain the good news of Jesus, would You supernaturally use those things in our lives to shape our lives, to be more like Your Son, our Savior, Jesus. We pray that He and He alone receives glory. And it's in His powerful name we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas. Very good. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Tamar. It was Tamar, this this woman in the Old Testament, a Canaanite seemingly outside the story through a bizarre set of circumstances. Uh, She would believe in God's promise of a seed to come, a seed of rescue. And even though she had to dress herself like a harlot, God heard her heart in her prayer. And she's part of the Christmas story. So Merry Christmas. Thank you for a Tamar that makes sure that the promise of a seed will not be lost. Merry Christmas. Thank you, Rahab. She believed in a promise of a land. Again, a a woman that the world would say is crazy. I mean, she lived in a pagan land. And she had a bad uh, profession as a harlot. And yet, she came to know the living God. And by faith, she believed in a promise of a land. A promised land. And she too was rescued. And now we say Merry Christmas. Thank you, Ruth. Ruth, another woman, a Moabite, seemingly on the outside. One that it looked like God did not smile upon. I mean, she lost her husband. And yet, she too was rescued because of faith. All three of these women, because of their faith, were rescued. All three of these women are ushered into God's family. All three of these women are part of the genealogy of Jesus. And all three of them point us to the Christmas story. Because here's the Christmas story. We cannot miss it. This Christmas story is how God rescues His family. And how He fulfills all of His promises. And the story takes so much more color And so much more beauty when we see those who went before Jesus to preserve that story, to preserve those promises. And Ruth is right in the line of that. You see, Ruth is proof 
that God rescues each member of His family. Let me say that again. Ruth is proof. God never fails. God would love sinners like uh, us so much that He would send His only Son to come and rescue the lost. What He called the lost sheep. When Jesus was here, He says, there's not one that I'm going to miss. Not one. And even this morning, if there is any here this morning who have yet to embrace the Christmas story, yet to realize that this story intersects our lives, the good news, the Spirit of the living God is here. And our hope and prayer is that each one of us leave here really knowing the Christmas story. Well, let's take a few minutes and look at the Ruth story. To know the Ruth story, we have to know a little bit about the Moabite story. And again, I, I know you could probably sit there thinking, this is great. I got a preacher who's going to tell me during Christmas about Moabites. But hang on. It's actually pretty interesting. It's pretty amazing of how God's hand of providence works rescuing one like Ruth. Ruth might be like many of you. She grew up on the wrong side of the tracks in a place called Moab. The Moabites had a distant relationship with the Israelites, kind of like distant cousins you might have from West Virginia. You know? I mean, they're related somehow, but you're not quite sure and you're not real proud about that. And uh, somehow they do things different than us. And for those of you from West Virginia, I'm sorry. I'm just using it as an illustration. You're good people. You're part of the family. But the Moabites, compared to the Israelites, they, they really were outsiders. You see, they got connected to the family through a man named Lot. Lot shows up in the book of Genesis, a man of faith um, uh, related to Abram or Abraham. And there's a really strange story about Lot and his daughters and how the Moabites and the Ammonites come about through an incestuous relationship that Lot has with his daughters in a drunken stupor. It's the Bible. It's amazing. Genesis 19, if you want to read more about that story. So right away, when you talk about the Moabites to the Israelites, they're not really part f- happy about this part of the family, you know? Uh, they're kind of a little bit embarrassed. Uh, not things you want to necessarily talk about, about how they came into being, especially uh, uh, that story in Genesis 19. But what's really difficult about the Moabites is they didn't worship Yahweh. Uh, they didn't worship the true and living God, the God of heaven and earth, the God that Ruth will put her faith in, the God that Rahab put her faith in, the God that Tamar put her faith in, the God that you and I put our faith in to become born-again believers. You see, the Moabites had their own God, Chemos. C-H-E-M-O-S-H is like the English translation. And this God, he demanded children sacrifice. And so that too for the Israelites really, really just grieved them to know of a people that worshiped a God They would sacrifice their children. And so, again, Moabites, bad taste in your mouth for an Israelite. Start off really kind of funny. Uh, Not only that, they worship in ways that aren't honoring uh, to Yahweh. And then when the nation of Israel was finally passing through, when God worked miraculously and rolled up his sleeves and and he set his people free from Egypt and slavery in Egypt, and he was leading them to the promised land, And when the time was ready, they would pass through Moab. And they kind of said, hey, we're coming to town. Remember, we're distant relatives. We don't want to talk about how we're distant relatives, but we are distant relatives. We're going to pass right through. Um, 
But there was a king of Moab named Balak, B-A-L-A-K. And King Balak was like the rest of the Moabites, terrified of the Israelites, melting with fear. So he got this weird character, this weird uh, uh, prophet named Balaam. And he said, I want you to come, Balaam, and I want you to curse the Israelites. And Balaam came and he says, I can only do what God commands me to do. And instead of cursing him, he blesses him. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. So again, uh, and by the way, Balak has uh, a really cool, or Balaam has a really cool donkey. Um, uh, there's more about his story in Numbers 22 to 24, a, a donkey that talks and uh, um, an incredible story. So if you want more on that, uh, that's Numbers 22 uh, through 24. But then right when they got through what you think they're heading into the uh, promised land, these Moabite women, uh, the way they worshipped, they had some really sexual perversion as well. And uh, the Israelites marching through the desert, uh, they see these women, uh, they say, wow, uh, that's, that's something we're interested in. And all of a sudden, they started mixing themselves up with the Moabite women. Not, not just like hanging out and going on dates, but worshiping the way they do, which included sexual perversion. And all of a sudden, a plague breaks out in the Israelites. And about 24,000 of them die. So how do you think an Israelite feels about a Moabite? All right? I mean, that's kind of, to understand Ruth's story, we have to understand the Moabite story. And then there's the Ruth story. And the Ruth story unfolds to us um, when a family from Israel goes to Moab. And the reason that this family from Israel goes to Moab was because of a famine. It's interesting. God, all the time through Scripture, is moving his people. A lot of times he moves his people because of famine. And so this family from Bethlehem, which, you ready for this? You know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. Kind of interesting. This family from Bethlehem, certainly famous. Uh, we sang this morning, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Who's going to come from Bethlehem? Anytime a preacher asks a question, never bad to yell Jesus. All right, well, I told you that before. So let's try again. Who comes from Bethlehem? Jesus. And Jesus is the bread of very good. And so isn't it interesting that the bread of life, uh, Jesus, uh, comes from Bethlehem, but now this family leaves Bethlehem because why? There's no bread in Bethlehem. There's a famine. It's a family, a family that starts with a dad named Elimelech. And his, na- his name means this, God is king. Pretty cool. He's coming to town. His wife's name is uh, Naomi. Uh, her name means pleasant or pleasant one. And they have two sons. And basically the interpretation of their sons could be helter-skelter, hanky-panky, or really, truly, sterile and spent. Scripture makes us believe that these uh, weren't probably the greatest of sons. And although they weren't supposed to, as a good Jewish-Israelite family, they didn't believe in missionary dating. They didn't believe that they were supposed to give their daughters to foreigners to date. That wasn't their practice. They believed that they should honor Yahweh by marrying within the family. We believe that too. I cannot officiate a wedding where there's a believer and an unbeliever. I believe that would be unequally yoked. And so if someone comes to me and says, will you marry me? The first thing I got to make sure is, do you both have a born again relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you both truly children of the living God? Because I cannot, with integrity before God, marry a believer to an unbeliever. 
I believe I would be in sin. I couldn't do it. And so we really see that from Scripture, and yet this Israelite family, I guess, forgot that, and they believed that they let their sons uh, have this missionary dating. And both of them marry Moabite women. Orpah? Poor girl. What's your name? Orpah. And the beautiful name, Ruth. It's a beautiful name. After 10 years have passed, now here they are, they're living in this Moabite town with pagans, and I told you about what kind of worship is going around them. Within 10 years, the dad dies. And both sons die. So now here's what you got. Three widows. Three widows living in a foreign land. Well, foreign to the mother-in-law and not to the other two. But Naomi hears that there's grain back in Israel. And she hears that God has been faithful. And one of this continual thread throughout the entire story is God's faithfulness. Faithfulness to provide bread. Faithfulness to provide a redeemer. Faithfulness to provide seed. And that's just God's story to all of us. So they hear, hey, there's grain back in Israel. There's grain back in Bethlehem. Let's go home. So Naomi says, I'm packing up all that I have. And all I have is uh, two daughter-in-laws. And we are going to head back to Bethlehem. And seemingly, amazingly, the daughter-in-laws seem willing to go. And so they're, they're packing up their stuff. And they're making the trek back to Bethlehem. And all of a sudden, Naomi stops and she says, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen, girls, go home. I don't have anything to offer you. You see, there was a tradition that she was to produce a son. That they would have, we talked about this in the last several series. If a son dies, the next youngest is supposed to step up and fulfill his responsibilities. Provide a seed for the family. Provide inheritance. Provide a land. But she didn't have any more. She didn't, have any, she didn't even have a husband. And she's old. And she's like, I got no hope for you. I, I can't give you a son. Even if I could, you wouldn't wait around for him. So listen, here's what I want you to do. Go back to your people. Go back to your mother's family. Kind of, really interesting here too. The mother's family probably means that she's saying to them, don't go back to dad because if you do, there's probably no chance of you getting married. Go back to your mother's family. And maybe you can find a husband. And go back to your people, those Moabites, those distant cousins from West Virginia. And go back to your God. Even that God that sacrifices children. Orpah realizes that's home, that's her identity. It's amazing what happens around the holidays. We kind of migrate to home, don't we? Even if home is painful. I had a conversation with someone this week and we were exchanging stories about our family and the dysfunctions in both sides of our family. We all have them. We all have brokenness. We all have those. And she asked, have you ever heard a family story where there's not dysfunction and pain? I said, never. I mean, I have a blessed family, a lot of great love, a lot of believers. We have pain in ours too. But there's something about the Christmas time where we want to go back home. Some of you are back from college. Welcome back. Some of you might be here visiting family. Welcome home. Well, Orpah just knew that's her whole identity. I mean, that was, that's who she was. That's her heritage. So she's going home. 
But then you get Ruth. Ruth does something bizarre. The word in the Hebrew is cling. She clings. She clings. It's the same word that is used by Moses in Genesis 2 to talk about marriage. That a father shall leave his mother and father. I'm sorry, that a husband shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. And Naomi is now going to have this incredible love for her uh, mother-in-law. But more than that, love for her God. And basically say, no, no, no. Anywhere you go, I go. I'm going to put my faith completely in Yahweh. And in this story, Ruth is going to find a redeemer and bring her into the family. That's Ruth's story. It's an incredible story. There's a few things that each one of us can't leave here without understanding about Ruth's faith. Because even this week, it challenged my own faith. I said, God, I want faith like Ruth. I want to be in like Ruth. Here's the first thing is this. Ruth had a faith that was all in against all odds. If you want to follow along in an outline, uh, there'll be one, there's one there in the bulletin for you. Ruth had a faith that was all in against all odds. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Ruth had a faith that was certain that Yahweh could provide for her an identity, a name, a future, and a hope that was better than any other God. And she was going to say, I'm all in. Let's look again at Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And, I will, uh, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. Talk about all in. Ruth was willing to give up everything. Everything. Leave everything behind. Everything. And say, I believe. That will be my identity. All in. I wonder if I really have that kind of faith. I mean, to me, uh, I I really want to have faith and I want to have a faith that can change my life. But really to say my entire identity, my entire being, everything that I am known for and about will be about Jesus. How is it with your faith? Is it all in? God's family will be my family. God's place will be my place. God's name will be my name. God's reputation will be my reputation. God's lot, whatever He has for me, will be what I will live with with, with, with pleasure. What I will pursue is His glory. What I will pursue is His fame. What I will pursue is His name. What I will pursue is a relationship with Him. He will be my all in all. That's Ruth. There wasn't this easy believism of just walk down an aisle and just add this one little thing to your life. No, Ruth, leave everything that you absolutely know. No, Ruth, everything that was once your identity is going to be gone. 
Ruth, whatever was your security, give it up. And come find security in the wings of Yahweh. Come and find your identity in God. Ruth had a faith that was all in. Not only that, it was against all odds. I mean, it's amazing. Ruth doesn't come to Yahweh because her life was so prosperous. Ruth didn't come to Yahweh because he's been so good to her. The story goes like this. I mean, Naomi realizes there's bread back in Bethlehem. She goes back to town. They recognize her and say, oh, look who's here. It's the pleasant one. That's her name. She said, no, 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 don't call me that anymore. Call me Mara because bitterness is my life. I come back with nothing. I left with a husband and two sons, and now I come back with nothing. Bitterness is my name. What do you think Ruth felt, by the way, when she's telling the folks from Bethlehem that she comes back with nothing? Ruth's probably sitting there thinking, well, thanks. I left everything. I mean, it was against all odds. What had Yahweh done for her? She was a widow. She had no future, humanly speaking. She had no security. I mean, that's faith. That's not easy believism. That's when you lose your job, but you say, I know that God is good. That's when you find out your spouse is not who you thought she was or who you thought he was. And you say, but I know that God is with me. That's when your child runs away from the faith. And you say, but I believe in a God who rescues. That's when all your security falls away. And yet you know you have all the security you need in Christ. This week I met with a man who uh, um, had come to a memorial service that I had done and um, heard me speak about life and life eternally in Christ and talk about peace that passes understanding, a, a good man, a religious man, a successful man, but just basically just says, I just I can't get that inner peace. I mean, I, and and, and I'm, I just can't get it. I mean, the world thinks that I have it all together, but the truth is, inside, in my home, in my life, I just, I just can't get it. And I'm ready to know what I have to do. What's the, what's the thing I have to add? What's that one thing I just need to put into my portfolio so that I, too, can have peace? Because he was a middle-aged man who was weary of trying his whole life to obtain it who is trying his whole life to carry all these things that hopefully one day will give him peace. And I said, there's a good, good news. There's nothing to be added. What you need to do is take all those things that you're carrying, that are your identity, that you think that you are your worth, that you think you'll find peace in, and let them go. Just drop them. You can't carry them, and they're not working, are they? And embrace Christ's identity for you. Who by faith in Him will make you a new creature. Who will forgive your sins and set you free and make you new. It's not about adding one thing to hold on to and try to juggle. It's about letting all those go. And that's what Ruth did. And that's how she found a Savior.
And I told him, I said, you know, the amazing thing is, is, is somehow that we think just a little bit of religion or maybe just a little bit of uh, Jesus will make us a little bit better and make us a little bit more of who we want to be. But really what he says to us is complete surrender. I mean, it's a Ruth story. What he says to us is basically you've got to be all in. And to be all in is basically saying whatever you held on to as your identity, you are going to willingly repent of and let go. But here is the incredible news. You will find your life in Christ and not lose it. Here's what I mean by that. You fully alive in Christ is how God wants you to be. And that is truly who you're made for. I'm not saying this very well. It's not like we can we turn to Jesus and all of a sudden we become something else. Yes, we're a new creation. But it's not like all of a sudden we lose what He's given us. We find that in Him we gain everything. We find our true selves. We find our true identity. Have you found that? I mean, your true, true identity. I mean, truly letting Him shape that and being set free. That's what Ruth found. And that's what I had the privilege of sharing with this man saying, it's not just one more thing to add. Just drop them all and pick Christ and he'll put back the things he wants and you will find life and life abundantly. It's amazing to me, Ruth was all in. And I know this, God's stirring my heart to be all in too. Christmas is the celebration that God is all in for us. God will say, I love him so much, I'm all in. That my son will become flesh. My son will go to a Roman cross. My son will die. My son will be buried. But I will resurrect him because I am all in. All in to rescue my children. That's Christmas. We see a manger and unbelievably God would become man and flesh and dwell among us. He would humble himself and strip himself of all but love and even be placed in a little manger. That's the Christmas story. That God is all in to love you and love me. And not only that, he comes to rescue us against all odds. You kidding me? Completely fulfilling the Father's will. Completely being obedient to his Father. And then willing to become a curse on a cross to rescue us. Christmas is a celebration that God is all in against all odds to rescue us. And now it's our turn to respond. I want to ask you the question, Orangewood. What does it look like for a church like this to be all in? What does it look like, seriously? I mean, I'm not talking about just something we do occasionally on Sunday and we try to help each other a little bit with deacons. I'm talking all in. Where he goes, I go. His family, my family. His identity, my identity. I think God has us in this place right now. Right now. I think God is calling us to be a church all in. All in. It's not going to be about Orangewood. It's not going to be about our name. It's going to be about Christ and his kingdom. It's going to be about us banding together and caring and loving one another deeply so the world says, I want to know about those people. They love each other so deeply. It's got to be an all-in church where we are not only taking care of our own needs, we're taking care of the world's needs where they say, why in the world would you love us too? That's what it's all in. You're ready. I'm ready. I mean, look at this Christmas story. Look at Ruth's story. How in the world can we just dabble with with Christianity and dabble that's part of our identity? God is calling you and me, Orangewood, this Advent season to be all in. Say, I surrender. Whatever my identity was, it's apart from Christ. I'm dropping it today. I'm dropping it. 
I'm going to say, come and fill my heart and come and reshape me. I want to be like Ruth. I do. I know so often in my life, I'm still picking up those things saying, maybe this is my identity. Maybe this is my worth. Even in the ministry. Say, no, Jesus, you're my identity. You're my worth. I, I want to be all in. Will you join me? All in for Christ. What would this church look like? I think he's calling us to that. I really do. Committed to the Lord. Ruth found a redeemer who rescued her from obscurity to prosperity. That's the story. She found a redeemer named Boaz. In real estate, we're told it's all about three things. What are they? Location, location, and location. When it came to God's people, especially in the Old Covenant, it came about, it was all about a promised land and a promised seed. And God put together a law to make sure that widows wouldn't be lost. They wouldn't lose a place their land, because that land was their identity. That land was part of their promise. God provided a law that a woman who lost a husband and didn't have sons wouldn't become so obscure and fade away, and the name would be completely lost. God lovingly provided a law. He says it's going to be through a kinsman redeemer. Family's going to be saving family. And the way you're going to do this, if there's a widow, there's a brother that should step in and fulfill his duty. And let me tell you, it was selfless. Because when the, when the brother stepped up to do his duty, what he was really doing was blessing someone else completely selflessly. With very little he would ever gain because that child born would get all the property and maintain that family name. Well, Boaz had a responsibility to Naomi and to Ruth. There was one in line above him, but he was a man willing to say, I will count the cost and I will redeem her. Great story there of the threshing floor. I don't have time to go into it of, of Ruth being a beautiful woman, drawing her into the story, causing them to see what God was doing, putting perfume on. I mean, she was all woman. So wonderful how she responded. But Boaz is a Christ like figure in this story. You see, Boaz was willing to be selfless, look for widows, and provide for them a name. Provide for them an inheritance. Provide for them the seed. You see, the Christmas story is about a whole greater redeemer than Boaz. His name is Jesus. And this Jesus is going to become flesh to come to orphans and widows like us. Sinners who deserve God's wrath, but instead receive God's love selflessly. He's going to come and He's going to redeem us through His own shed blood on a cross. He's going to rescue us, those who by nature are children of wrath. And He's going to bring us in and make us children of the living God. He's going to give us the promised land of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. Through the incredible, the one seed that was promised through Jesus. You see, this story of Ruth is a story of Christmas because it's a story of a Redeemer who rescues. It's our story. Is it your story? You don't have to be a widow to feel like you're in the margins of life. You don't have to feel like you're a widow or an orphan to feel like you're just gleaning the leftovers. And I know many of you are feeling that way right now. Will you please turn your eyes to Jesus? Will you please turn your eyes to Jesus, the great Redeemer, and know how He loves you and know how He loves to pour into your lap Blessings upon blessings upon blessings because we are His beloved children. Is that not good news? We have a Redeemer. 
named Jesus. The Ruth story is a story from a foreigner going to family. Ruth herself refers to herself as a foreigner, an outcast, one on the outside, you know, somebody from West Virginia. Chapter 2, verse 10. But God doesn't see Ruth as a foreigner. God sees her as family. And through faith, God will usher Ruth into the family and into the royal line. And that's exactly what God does for sinners like you and me. By God's grace, through faith, those who deserve His wrath are given His love and are ushered in to a royal family. That is good news. Listen, this Christmas story, is it your story? Have you been rescued? Foreigners like us, are we family? Family of the living God. By faith, we can be in God's Son. Ruth had reason to sing joy to the world because she found a redeemer named Boaz. She truly did have reason to sing. This one who was just a handmaid, this one who was a widow, was brought in, was made royalty, was made family. Her whole life turned around and did she have reason to sing? Do you? Do you know the joy of rescue? Do you know the joy of a Redeemer coming for you? Do you know the joy of going from foreigner to family? And if you do, sing. And live your life in response to that. And if you do, we better be all in because He was all in for us. And if you don't, this morning's the time. Don't let another moment pass without experiencing this life, this joy that Jesus could be your Redeemer and Savior. All you do is come as you are. Drop your identity. Drop that which you tried to hold up to prove your worth and say, I'm going to look just to you and you alone. Forgive my sins and bring me in the family. And then you'll know that joy that His world is celebrating this Christmas season. Let us pray. And Father God, I thank You for the incredible joy that is ours as we see Your faithfulness to Ruth in rescuing this widowed Moabite and making her part of Your family. But God, the only reason that she could be a part of Your family was because of Your eternal love and Your grace And You gave her that faith to say, I'm all in. And Father, may You give that grace to anyone here this morning who is yet to embrace Christ as Savior. May this morning they say, I'm all in. May right now in the quietness of their heart and during this Advent season, may they acknowledge their sinfulness and embrace a Redeemer named Jesus. And welcome them to the family. And God, I pray for this church. We cannot hear messages like Ruth's and see faith like hers and not be stirred to ask the question, are we all in? Father, may this be a church that says we're going to let go of the the things on the periphery. We're going to let go of the non-essentials. We're going to let go of the things that we just think that that's our identity that's apart from Christ. And we're all in together.
for the glory of God. Spirit of living God, may you make it so and begin with me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.